Hello, and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. Today on the program, we welcome portfolio manager Shri Tella. Shri is based out of Fidelity's fixed income headquarters in Miramac, New Hampshire, and for Canadian investors, is involved with 12 Fidelity funds, including Fidelity Canadian Bond Fund, Corporate Bond Fund, and the fixed income subportfolio of Fidelity Inflation Focus Fund. Shri comments on the Bank of Canada's latest interest rate announcement, calling it marginally hawkish. The BOC has also said they are expecting inflation to go to 3% by the middle of the year. Shri says we'll have a clearer picture in June-July timeframe because by then we will have had a couple more inflation prints. So what does this latest announcement mean for bond markets? Shri says there was marginal outperformance in the Canadian fixed income rates versus the U.S. The overall bond market outlook shows a risk in the near term that rates could continue to drift up. He also notes there are opportunities in fixed income. Generally, it looks attractive. But he explains as we head into a potential recession, it is important to proceed with caution. While he thinks that overall yields warrant having some credit risk, his overall credit exposure and positioning is on the lower side of his historical positioning. This podcast was recorded on March 9, 2023. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada, ULC, or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. Love having you on the day after a big Bank of Canada announcement uh, to get your thoughts. It was expected. They had talked about a pause and indeed they did pause. What did you make of the announcement and, and what they said when they, uh, when they announced it? Yeah, I mean, I think it's important to frame the the statement based on what we've seen over the past couple of months. So, you know, the market's gone from pricing in rate cuts the the second half of this year to now looking at rates going marginally higher and staying high up until we get into 2024. And so when you look at the Bank of Canada statement, they obviously made the comment about pausing at this meeting that was well telegraphed and expected. So no real surprises. Um, I think they were very balanced. If you're a dovish, sort of if you have a dovish bent, there was something in the statement for you. If you were very hawkish, you could pick out things. For example, on the dovish side, they said things are evolving pretty much as they expected. Um, They uh, removed references to excess demand in the economy. They expect inflation to fall down to 3% later this year. Um, you know, on the flip side, however, they did acknowledge that U.S. and European growth has been stronger than expected. Um, China reopening uh, is push, putting pressure on commodity pricing, uh, as well as the notion that uh, core inflation still remains pretty sticky. So um, there's a little bit of, of everything for everyone. Um, but, uh, but, you know, on the margin, um, my own view is that it was marginally hawkish. Um, but just more from the standpoint that they referred to their 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 comment from January about being on hold conditionally, 
um, but they are, seem to emphasize more that uh, uh, that rates could go higher given that uh, if inflation proves to, to continue to be Yeah, they did seem to cover a lot of their bases in that, uh, in that statement. Um, but obviously now we're going to look to the next announcement, which uh, is in April. So anything from the statement that gets you to think whether they might pause again or, or will they rate, raise, raise rates again? How do you think the next month might unfold? Yeah, I mean, I think for the next month, the issue with the, the, the next meeting is that, so the bank's clearly data dependent at this point, and they've stated that. It's really going to depend on how the data evolves. Now, the issue is, given that they're very inflation-focused, um, they're only going to have one more inflation print before the April meeting. So we'll get February CPI later this month, and then the bank has their a April meeting in early April. So they won't even get March CPI until after that date. And that's also the, the meeting where their monetary policy report gets updated and all their forecasts. So, so while they're data dependent, it's really going to be hard for them to have a material shift on just a, a little bit of data. So, um, so, you know, the base case is still for them to remain on hold. However, um, you know, we won't really know until we get to the June-July timeframe because that's when they're going to have a couple of more inflation prints. Um, because following the April meeting is they won't be uh, have another announcement till early June. So um, and that's when we'll really know because the Bank of Canada has also said that they're expecting inflation to get to three percent by the middle of this year. And so by that point in time, we'll have a better sense of whether they're getting there. But again, you'll run into the same problem there because June CPI, for example, won't come out till end of till the end of July which then gets you later in the year before they really have a clear picture if things are headed where they're, where they're expecting them to. So what does that mean for the June announcement that they won't have that? <laughs> and, uh, and I guess we'll have to wait for the one after that to really see what they do. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, for June, I mean, April, June, I mean, you're going to have a lot more data at that point. You're also going to see how things evolve globally um, because right now, one of the big issues, fact that the Federal Reserve is headed in this path of being more hawkish um, and potentially, you know, the terminal rate in the U.S. has gone from uh, being priced in in the high fours in uh, in the markets anyways to now looking at the mid or around 560, 565. Um, and so, so that is also going to have an impact because there's going to be a larger, potentially larger divergence between U.S. policy and the Bank of Canada. And now there are a number of reasons why Canada is more vulnerable to rate hikes and more sensitive. Um, and uh, but at the same time, there's uh, only so far that that divergence can how only so far that the magnitude of that divergence can be, and uh, and also how long it can persist for. Let's just let's talk about that a little more uh, since we're on the topic. What what does that mean? For I guess for Canada, if you see that divergence, it does affect the currency and and could uh, other things. Um, so what would be the implications of, of that if there was a bigger divergence? Yeah, so so first, I think it's important to think about why we can have that divergence. So obvious, for obvious reasons, you know, Canadian, the Canadian consumer is uh, has a higher debt load than in the U.S., um, um, so more sensitive to interest rate changes. The structure of mortgages in Canada being shorter term in nature than in the U.S. means that rate increases have a more immediate impact. Um, and impact people not only sooner, but uh, on a more regular basis. And so 
those factors mean all the, all the recent rate hikes are going to filter through and impact Canadians more quickly. Um, and and so I think that that's uh, that's a, that's part of the reason why you're going to see that divergence evolve over the next little while. Now, to your point about yeah. So there have been historical periods where the Bank of Canada rate has been 75 to 100 basis points lower than in the U.S., and that can persist for an extended period of time without any major implications. But, but the, to your point about the currency, that's where the real risk lies. So we've already seen the Canadian currency weaken a little bit versus the U.S. Now, the Bank of Canada acknowledged that in their last statement, but they did not specifically address the Canadian dollar this time around. They only acknowledged U.S. dollar strength, um, but the issue is if the Canadian dollar weakens significantly, then that's another risk to inflation because it's going to make uh, it's going to import inflation into the into the Canadian economy, which then works counter to what the the bank's been trying to do. The other big sort of macro uh, announcement coming out is tomorrow we've got Canadian jobs and U.S. jobs coming out on the same day. So. A big day for uh, people who love watching the economy. What are you expecting to see from the from the job numbers in Canada? We had 150,000 job gains in in January, so a big number. We see that again. Yeah, I mean, I think the consensus in the market is that we'll see uh, things come back to more normal numbers. Like I think the forecast for tomorrow on uh, in the market is about 10,000 jobs added. Um, you know, I think the, the, the key thing with Canadian jobs data is it's very volatile and it's really hard to, to think about looking at just one particular number from month to month. Uh, it's really more about the overall trend and Canadian jobs have been very strong. So, um, you know, I think the market generally has seen a lot of strong prints and we've repriced rates generally on back of strength in the economy. So, you know, the risk is really a, to a weaker number which could lead to the markets rallying, thinking that things are starting to turn. But it's also important to think about the fact that employment data is lagging, right? So we don't really see job losses hit until things have already started to turn. And so, um, you know, a good example of just thinking about in the U.S., there's been a lot of announcements, especially from tech companies, you know, companies like Meta and Apple, et cetera, have announced layoffs, or actually Meta and Google, I should say, um, have announced layoffs. And, um, you know, interestingly, all those people are still on severance. So even though layoffs were announced months ago, they're not, they're still not able to file unemployment claims and they're not sure they don't show up in, in the job loss numbers. And so um, it's, it's possible that that will start to hit over the next quarter or so and you'll start to see that, that happen. And so that's kind of the lagging nature of employment. And so that's something to be careful of and reading too much into the numbers. But, um, but but at the same time, the markets obviously pay attention to it, so it's important to to think about what they will be because markets will react based on that the, that data. And maybe just sort of finally on on sort of the economic picture, do you feel like we're maybe finally taking a turn? Like I guess it's still unclear whether there'll be a recession, how deep it could be, but it feels like maybe we've turned a corner and things are starting to move into a, a bit of a new phase. Is, do you do you get that sense? I mean, I, there's definitely um, a, a reason to be cautious about the, the economy and how things will play out. And of course, again, with the lagging nature of rate hikes and what they do, you know, we may not see the impact for a few more months, if not till later this year. Um, so definitely, you know, growth has been coming down. Uh, inflation has come off its peak. 
Um, but there's still a lot of resiliency in the market. If you look at the most recent growth numbers in Canada, they were weak on the surface, but it was really due to a drop in inventory investment. So if you looked at consumer spending um, and uh, savings rates and, uh, and also, um, uh, drawing the blank, yeah, it's basically consumer spending and, and saving, et cetera, they all went up. Um, and so what we are, where we are seeing things decline or in business investments come down a little bit. Um, and, uh, and so there are signs of things slowing, but there's still a lot of resiliency in, in, in the economy, which, which is why sort of this notion over the last few months of like thinking we were going to hit an imminent recession and things with the all the central banks would reverse course, that's kind of disappeared because the resiliency of the, of the economy has been showing up. And so it, it kind of moves us to thinking more about having rates at higher levels, maybe not going up consistently anymore, but at least remaining at higher levels for a longer period of time. Um, so let's move to the bond markets um, and uh, what you're seeing there. I mean, maybe just the first, are you seeing the bond market react to any of this news in a way that is uh, significant or, or, or how are kind of markets reacting to what we've been talking about? Yeah, so in terms of yesterday's reaction to the Bank of Canada, um, as, we, as we discussed at the outset, a lot of it was expected in terms of um, the, the bank staying on hold and, and not really signaling moving again in the future. Uh, in the near future. And so, um, you know, we did have a bit of marginal outperformance in Canadian fixed income rates versus the U.S., but on just on the margin because of um, with the U.S. sort of rhetoric of the last couple of days with Chair Powell and the U.S. talking about potentially higher rates. And so that there was a marginal divergence. Um, but, you know, this morning we're actually having a bigger reaction in both the Canada and the U.S. to uh, jobless claims numbers in the U.S. And so, so I think really market reaction is going to be more dependent on the data from one day to the next as opposed to uh, the statement. But uh, but in terms of overall bond market outlook, uh, um, you know, based on all this information, um, you know, there's a risk in the near term that rates continue to drift up. But by and large, uh, the big move, obviously, with over 400 plus basis points of rate hikes over the past year. Um, has made fixed income generally look a lot more attractive. And so yields are really compensating you in, um, and fixed income in general looks like a much better asset class moving forward. I, I do have to ask, um, are you enjoying your job more now? Uh, last year wasn't a great year and it's been low yields for you know a decade. What's it like being a bond manager today? Yeah, so, um, well, I guess, you know, obviously there's a lot of uncertainty and anytime you're heading to... Uh, um, Potential recession is is never good for anyone managing managing money generally, but um, but I will say there's definitely a lot more interest in fixed income, which makes things a lot more exciting. You know, for the longest time, um, the the pushback and rightfully so was why would I be invested in fixed income when I'm not really earning anything? And uh, and now you know fixed income yields are much more attractive. We're seeing a lot of in interest both from retail and institutional clients. To move back into fixed income, and while there's caution to be warranted, um, the it's hard to really time the markets. And so, given where yields are, it's a much more attractive asset class. So it does make things much more interesting and more enjoyable, I guess, from my, from my perspective. So, where are the opportunities today? You you can look at you know the entire I guess Canadian bond universe is, is your focus. 
Um, what looks attractive? Where are you finding opportunities? Yeah, so one of the things that we've been sort of trying to convey to clients is that obviously fixed income generally looks attractive, but you know, if we're heading into a potential recession or an economic slowdown, there's still some caution to be warranted in the way you position your portfolio. So, um, you know, while we think that overall yields warrant having some credit risk, our, our cre overall credit exposure and positioning is on the lower side of our historical um, positioning and we're also somewhat a little bit more defensive in that position so for example from a sector perspective um, you know we like uh, the Canadian banks it's just large uh, you know stable companies that even in a slowdown have proven to be resilient and won't really have any credit issues um, utilities for example uh, the provinces have actually been a, a good spot to be in of late um, funding and deficits have come down the funding needs have dropped um, that's one area, but that's starting to get priced in. And so one thing on that side that we're looking at going forward is, and we're starting to see it with the, the current budget season, is that provinces are starting to spend more. Uh, we have a few elections coming up. Uh, so we're a little bit more balanced in the outlook there. Um, but, uh, but more importantly, in this type of environment, because yields are attractive, we like credit, but you want to be picking the right companies. So regardless of the sector you're in, you want to be picking the, the best of the breed, ones that can withstand uh, some stress or have good balance sheets, good cash flow, stable businesses. Uh, so, you know, for example, we can talk about real estate. Real estate's obviously very unloved right now because of uh, uh, interest rates going higher um, and, uh, and property values, et cetera, whether it's housing or office or so on. Um, but there are plenty of REITs in Canada that have very stable properties that are anchored by grocery stores that have stable cash flows. And so, so you need to, within each sector, you need to be picking sort of the best of the breed and, um, and uh, companies that have some stability. So, um, so just generally, maybe, so how do you feel about high yield? So it sounds like there are some opportunities, you got to pick your spots. Um, but so how would you characterize maybe just broadly the kind of the high yield space today? Yeah, so high yield in general, um, obviously, when you look at the all-in yields, look very attractive. But if you compare the all-in yield relative to where base rates and government rates are, as well as uh, outright spreads, um, it's it's not looking as attractive. So, you know, from our funds that can invest in high yield, our actual allocation to high yield has come down. Um, we we will always maintain some exposure because the yield yield does compensate you for potential risk, um, but um, but it doesn't warrant having as big a, an allocation as we, we might when we feel much more comfortable about where spreads are. Um, you know, in terms of high yield also, uh, the default, the outlook over the next little while in the near term looks okay. Like defaults are expected to go up over time because of higher interest rates and, and, um, and a slower economy. But that being said, um, a lot of good high yield companies refinanced over the last couple of years when rates were really low. And so the, the maturities don't really come up for the next two to three years. And so that really pushes out sort of the, the pressure uh, on high yield. And, uh, um, and so from a fundamental standpoint, there's still, um, it's, it's doing okay in the near term. Uh, what we're cautious about is that absolute spreads are looking fairly expensive. How do you um, maybe you know allocate uh, assets to all these different kinds of categories, and and what is 
sort of you know the mandate of your fund is it is you know getting that high yield is it uh capital appreciation i don't know how do you how do you kind of determine i guess what is that mandate and then how do you allocate for that yeah i mean so we we have a couple of different mandates that allocate through different sectors but but really what we're looking to do is uh identify sectors that we think will outperform the broader fixed income market. So the first step is really thinking about, um, uh, you know, the first step is what we've talked about already is the macro environment. So that defines how much risk we want to be putting in our portfolio. And then once we have that idea of how much risk is then thinking about which sectors we think will outperform and identifying those and, and overweighting to those sectors. And that can be as high level as like, provincial bonds, government bonds, or corporate bonds, or it can be granular looking at, you know, financials versus utilities versus real estate and so on. And so, um, so that's where we're thinking, how we think about sort of where we want to be positioned. And then the next step is really um, then picking the right companies. And that's where our research and trading capabilities come into to play. And we really lean on our, the strength of our, our research to think about what are the best companies we want we want to own within each sector and where do we want to buy them? Do we want to buy five-year bonds, 10-year bonds? Um, and what part of the capital structure should we be buying? And so that's how we think about positioning our portfolio. And at the same time, we want to have a diversified portfolio and, uh, and make sure that, you know, there's going to be times where we're looking for capital appreciation. And for example, if we think that spreads are really wide or rates are really high, and we think there's going to be the potential for prices to go up with all those normalizing, uh, but then there's in an environment look right right now where we're probably going to be going sideways with some volatility, obviously, over the next few months. We we want to generate some yield over over the benchmark and just be earning income um, uh, as, as an aside. So it really does depend on the market environment. And right now, there's not really any catalyst for near term capital appreciation. So it's really about generating yield in a portfolio. You know, you go back to 2020. When spreads blew up and and all this and the central banks uh, came in with liquidity, that's when you wanted to buy things for capital appreciation because you knew that things would normalize and benefit from that. Right. Um, what about duration? How do you approach uh, approach duration? Yeah. So um, our funds typically tend to be um, close to the benchmark in terms of duration. We don't take large duration. Uh, risks in our portfolios because we can find the volatility can often dwarf the returns in, in your in, in a fund. Uh, but that being said, you know if you go back to last year, with given where rates were, it was pretty obvious that rates didn't have a lot of room to go lower, and so we were on sort of a, of our historical range, we were underweight duration to a certain extent, and that really did benefit us as as rates normalized over the past year. Uh, now that we're kind of hitting the tail end of of, um, uh, of rate hikes, and even though there might be one or two more, or in the case of the U.S., two or three more, um, we uh, we're getting much more neutral. Uh, we have a much more neutral view on the market and trying to stay close to the benchmark duration. Um, and then, you know, with the notion that ideally we'll probably look to go over rate duration as we kind of get to maybe have more visibility into when things start to slow and rates will start to normalize and the central banks start to turn around and um, and potentially cut rates. But that's, as we've talked about, that's likely a, a 2024 story as opposed to uh, something that we look, look at this year. 
What about sort of how Canadian bonds maybe stack up against global, uh, you know, the global opportunities? I think a lot of advisors on this call probably hold a lot of Canadian bonds. It, it, you know, how do we compare maybe to, to others and why should um, advisors, you know, continue uh, thinking about Canadian bonds in their portfolios? Yeah, um, I, I mean, so one, I guess there's a couple of things. If you look at it from Canadian fixed income as a whole, um, you know, we've talked about um, the the vulnerability of Canada to higher rates and the potential for Canada to, and that leads into the possibility that Canada is more impacted and, and it potentially gets to a recession um, sooner. So that's possibly from a rate perspective, there is some cushion in terms of with rates potentially could come down earlier in Canada than they might uh, elsewhere. Um, but more broadly, the way when we think about it more holistically and look at the market, if we think about Canadian corporate bonds, which we tend to have a lot of exposure to, um, compared to uh, U.S. bonds, for example, over the last number of months, Canadian bond corporate spreads have underperformed what we've seen in the U.S. Um, and um, and uh, and so I think that that's uh, that on a relative basis makes Canadian corporate bonds look a little more attractive than than U.S. credit right now. Um, but 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 broadly, you know, we would always advocate for having some diversification and being across different. Um, you know, different uh, sectors and geographies. Uh, but um, but I think from that from the perspective of Canada, um, you know, most stable companies, higher quality, um, higher quality issuers. If you think about the composition of the Canadian corporate uh, bond market, is uh, tends to be much higher quality and uh, and is also can be uh, defensive as well. Um, just maybe quickly talk about the sectors again. So you mentioned banking, you know, energy is obviously a big one in Canada and, and it's always kind of on people's minds when it comes to fixed income and utilities. Maybe talk, are, you know, outside of banking, which you discussed, are there other sectors that um, look attractive or or maybe you don't like? Yeah, um, I mean, I guess, you know, if you think about, um, there are obviously all types of industrial um, companies. So if you think about from a consumer standpoint, the grocery stores are very stable and doing very well. Uh, I know that's a very controversial thing in Canada right now in terms of the money they're making off of what they charge for food. Um, but, uh, you know, there's so stable companies, the telecom companies as well um, are, are all good, strong companies. Um, our hesitation with those really is not fundamental. It's really more valuation-based. Those are triple B-rated companies. They've spreads have compressed versus um, stronger single-A names like the Canadian banks and, and, and utilities. And so from a valuation standpoint, they, we don't feel you're getting as much for them. Now, we still have exposure to them because they are big players in the market and have a lot of bonds outstanding, but maybe not as much as we would have in the past. Um, and then, so I, I think in that space, the infrastructure space, um, you know, in terms of like uh, airports are, are still looking pretty good. We're still benefiting from the, um, from the um, uh, reopening and, and people traveling a lot more. Um, so that's a positive trajectory. But again, valuations are starting to reflect that. So, so while there are a lot of sectors that are faring well right now, um, you know, it's really more about the valuations that, that warn us to be more defensive and in higher quality, like financials and utilities, um, where, um, uh, you know, you're, you're not giving up 
that much in terms of what you're getting from a yield, um, but in, you're in much more stable and uh, and stronger uh, industry. Um, so this this goes a little bit back to a question about being a how enjoyable being a bond manager is today. But I but I wonder if you know that sixty forty portfolio, the balanced portfolio, is is that back now? Should advisors be thinking, hey, now is the time maybe to to allocate a bit more to bonds um, than maybe they have in the past? Yeah, I mean bonds definitely. The outlook for the six traditional sixty forty portfolio, I guess, is much better. Obviously. You know, in the near term, we're still seeing correlations fairly um, reversed. You know, they're they're they both equities and bonds have been positively correlated because of the fact that good news has has meant higher rates, which means it's bad for bond prices. But then higher rates is also bad for equities right now, given um, where things are, and and vice versa. And so those those correlations are definitely. Uh, broken down the historical correlations but that being said we're getting to that inflection point as i mentioned you know with with high yields in bonds um they really are now acting as that shock absorber again against like a real risk off period so you know if we do start to see that slowdown that's going to impact stocks um that means that eventually central banks will have to turn around and start cutting rates which then you know bonds end up being that shock absorber in a portfolio again so we're definitely at a valuation point now where 60-40 starts to look more attractive, um, and the case can be made that uh, that it's going to behave in the manner that it's historically been uh, expected to. So um, I think that's uh, that is uh, definitely a thing to consider. There are a lot of bond funds out there, and so why Fidelity? What does Fidelity bring to the table here um, that uh, that you know gives it that differentiator? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, our perspective uh, being the, the, the size and scale of our firm is one thing in terms of just the amount of exposure we get globally um, and, and thinking about um, uh, thinking about how global factors really do, even though Canada has its own unique uh, market issues and factors, global issues really are what drive markets overall. And so that global viewpoint, I think, is big. Um, and also, but just the structure of our teams, you know, we don't have any one individual that's um, working in a vacuum to invest in our portfolios. We rely on a large team of experts uh, and analysts and traders, et cetera, that um, really gives us a lot of input and uh, um, into uh, input and insight into constructing our portfolios. And I think that that's, uh, that is, uh, that is our edge. A lot of uh, deep dives into into what we're investing in, um, and uh, a lot of sort of uh, information flow that comes from not just our Canadian team, but our U.S. team, our global teams, um, and even our fixed income works very closely with our equity groups. Um, so it's just that broad amount of resources and and uh, the team and the team environment that really allows us to be very thoughtful about how we're investing our. Perfect. I'm going to leave it there. Uh, thank you so much for your insights today and looking forward to chatting, hopefully after the next announcement to see what's going on there. And thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. 
Fidelity mutual funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash how to buy for more information. While visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time.